0: sometimes, they win. Even the devil was an angel once. The world has its own rules, and these rules are not human. Some of us seek answers to the origin and existence of cryptids and the unexplained. Join us as we venture beyond the known and accepted boundaries. Welcome to our nightmare. I think you're going it. Hey folks, good evening and welcome to Phantoms of Monsters Radio where we explore and discuss the unknown and the unexplained. I'm your host Lon Stricker, thanks for joining me. Now the Phantoms of Monsters Radio channel is uh, made possible by you liking and subscribing and and by you sharing uh, the content or programming. Uh, Super chat donations are essential for us to continue offering you our unique content and your consideration is very much needed and appreciated. So tonight, uh, we present another roundtable discussion. The subject is alien encounters. Uh, Joining us are Albert S. Rosales, Lynn Wallington, and Thomas M. Ferrario. Albert S. Rosales was born in Cuba, where he experienced several strange events, some UFO related. He migrated to Spain in 1966 and lived there for a year, and then migrated to the United States soon after. Uh, Albert joined the U.S. Navy in 1976 after traveling to Europe. There, he began collecting reports of UFOs and etc. In 1980, he went to work for his father until he became ill and passed away. and uh, Albert joined the Miami Dade Police Department as a 911 dispatcher in 1984 and worked there for 35 years. While there, he heard it all, including UFO and humanoid reports. In the early 1990s, he began to concentrate in summarizing. Only humanoid entity encounters of all kinds. To date, he has summarized and collected over 24,000 reports, and the database is updated and corrected daily. Albert has written 16 books and chronicles of the of entity and humanoid encounters, including a book about UFOs and humanoids over Florida. And these books can be obtained on Amazon. Now, as a witch with ancestral ties to Salem, Massachusetts, Lynn, Lynn Wallington lives life amidst the strange and unusual her first paranormal experience has happened at a young age where she saw her great grandmother sitting at the edge of her bed one night only to find out the next morning that she had passed away lynn has always lived with one foot in this world and one in the spirit world and since that defining moment she has had a fascination with all things paranormal her interest in the paranormal Uh, and how it affects people led her to get a degree in psychology from the University of Massachusetts. After Lynn graduated, she worked for Harvard Medical School doing research and working with clients with schizophrenia and other forms of psychosis. In her 30s, Lynn had her first experience with a UFO and shortly after had an experience with a mantis being. Her interest in the field of ufology was sparked. Using her own experiences and her background in psychology, Lynn worked for free at uh, the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research in Extraterrestrial Encounters, where she helped to develop and run a support program for experiencers. In doing so, Lynn has had the privilege of talking with hundreds of experiencers where she helped them come to terms with their encounters. Lynn is, a uh, is certified as a regression therapist and has worked with experiencers to help recover memories and understands the roles that these experiences have played in their life. Uh, Lynn also co-hosts Rebellious UFOlogy on YouTube. Thomas M. Ferrario has worked as a dive master, machinist, electrical engineer on projects in the United States, Red China, and Bermuda. He has been an independent UFO researcher since 1969 to 1998, at which point Walt Andrus, founder of MUFON, asked him to become a section director for MUFON. Later, he would go on to be an assistant state director for Missouri MUFON. He then founded the MUFON Dive Team with Debbie Ziegmeier. Uh Thomas then joined Ted Phillips as his assistant in 2006 and later became part of Ted's SIU team. He assisted Ted Phillips on his Marley Woods project and the Tetra Mountain Moonshap project. So, folks, uh, thanks for coming on tonight. Thank you.
1: Thank you.
2: Thanks
0: so much. Glad to be here. Well, I'm going to start this out, I guess, with the obvious question about human uh, alien uh, encounters. And I'll start with, uh, I'm going to start with Lynn because of her background. What are alien, extraterrestrial, even EBEs? Uh, what's your definition of these entities and what are people seeing and encountering?
2: Well, that's a big question. Um, so <laughs> it can encompass a lot of different things, right? I think right. we use the term alien kind of as a, or extraterrestrial as like a catch all term, which mm-hmm. could be, I mean, we have all kinds of words for it now, but extraterrestrial, ultra-terrestrial, um, interdimensional, intradimensional, um, you name it. So I think alien kind of encompasses all of those things, Um and what do people see? They, I mean, the variety that they see is as much as the variety of the words that we have for it. So you'll mm-hmm. see anything from, uh, you know, interdimensional light beings to physical beings in front of them to potentially beings that are um, part biological, part machine. As some people believe uh, some of the small greys are more like androids. Uh, So it really runs the gamut of what they see, all shapes and sizes. Um, The grays, I would say, is probably one of the most common ones that we hear about. Um, Reptilians also. But, you know, we get a lot of other, a lot of different ones. So they see a lot of different things, which is what makes it really fun and exciting.
0: So what do you say to that uh, question, Thomas?
3: Uh, You know, I absolutely, over the years and working with Ted Phillips and Marley Woods, we were so fortunate as I could tell you that we, and I know, you know, we had a gentleman out there. Uh, one of the, the greatest in the field yet had Dr. Jock filet spent time with us because he was good friends with Ted Phillips. And, you know, Ted Phillips started out as Dr. Alan Hynek's protege back in the days with blue book. And you had Jock filet working on the right of Dr. Hynek and Ted out doing the physical trace research. And, uh, and that's where Ted wanted to be so long was doing the fit. He was comfortable doing the nuts and bolts work. And I will tell you, as myself included, he had a big problem in the beginning dealing with the aspect of this being the, the, the dimensional aspect of this. Um, but as he said, he come to through our work out there in Marley Woods, his premier project that he spent virtually the rest of his life at, that he got to feel that this was Heineck and Valet were so ahead of their times, as he said, that it was just too, so much more complex than little green guys from Alpha Centauri coming here. That, And I just at this point have to interject with one of my mentors, Jacques Valet, has spent time with us. He always, you know, we always had his words in the back of our mind. And I would just, I'd like to advise anybody in the field of ufology and in the spiritual realm, just to always, uh his words were that we have evidence that the phenomena has the ability to create a distortion of the sense of reality or to substitute artificial sensations for the real ones. Now, now what that means in a nutshell is you have to always question what you're seeing or experiencing yourself. And believe me, at Marley Woods, Ted's living laboratory, um, we all come to believe that this is all more on the the dimensional aspect than the interplanetary. Um, So that's quite a statement. I will tell you, I didn't like to deal with that when I started in this.
0: Well, I I tell you, I have to, I have to lean that direction, be honest with you. Uh, You know, I've been doing this a long time. And uh, I used to always think it was the little green men at first coming in spacecraft. and, And I, 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 my, thoughts on that have entirely changed yeah. i think it's more um dimensional travel possibly and, uh, and by other means as opposed to craft landing and depositing their alien beings onto the planet um uh, so yeah i i agree with you on that um albert what are your thoughts
1: uh, tom there you definitely go. there's the variety bi- of uh Entities and beings is amazing. I mean, it's like a Grand Central Station here on Earth. Yeah. Uh, when I started, uh, most of, you know, most of the the entities and humanoids were like uh, the grades were like uh, they came later for some reason. At the beginning, like the uh, the early humanoid catalog, like Passport to Magonia by Jack Ballet, mm-hmm. and the humanoids by um, Miss Bowen and you in the UK, I went through all the cases one by one, and none of them mentioned a, an entity resembling a gray. And there were hundreds, hundreds of cases. Now, in the late 70s, I don't know what what happened, uh, there was a suddenly entities were like a lot of the entities were short, bald headed, and gray in color, and that's when it, it started. but I'm not saying that they're the only ones now here, but for some reason they they were not seen too much in the early years. Uh, Anyone that remembers seeing uh, the grays back in the 50s or the 40s or 60s only remembers that after going hypnotic regression years later. So, um, I don't know. And as far as uh, I I agree with, with Tom and Lon, I I think there's a an interdimensional aspect here. I think there might be many dimensional dimensions or other worlds parallel. Who knows, but I think that's a more practical uh, answer. Uh, I'm not saying they're not they're not might might be some from out of space too and they might use other dimensions to travel here, uh, wormholes. I don't know, maybe there's there're too two sides. Uh, the ones from outer space and the ones from uh, other dimensions.
0: Let well, yeah. I mean, me ask this then. And now, for the most part, most of these alien beings that people see or encounter are of the humanoid variety. And uh, what are your thoughts on why that is? Why do they have arms and legs and heads just like we do, for the most part? I'm going to start off with a limb of
2: Mm. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I um, I'm trying to remember where I heard it. Uh, but a few years back, there was uh, a scientist who was talking about that. That might be the most um, uh, conducive to our universal kind of existence. Is that's that form? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm not really sure either that, or perhaps they're projecting that image to us because it's less, um, outside of our realm of understanding. It's, it's somewhat kind of, we can kind of identify with that, even if they are maybe insectoid or reptilian, it's still the same, you know, similar kind of body type. And so there's some frame of reference that we can identify with, but I'm not quite sure. It's a good question.
3: What do you think, Tom? I, I think just the practicality of it all, the, the form, you know, like she just mentioned, uh, it's just more practical in, in in this dimension to be able to accomplish tasks, the dexterity. And, you know, the one thing that I'll go back to what, what Ted had just kind of nailed down, not, we had sightings of structured craft in Marley, we had cryptid, we had the unseen force, and then the biggest thing we dealt with were the light balls and the colors denoted, you know, their activity. Uh, usually the red ones were the bad guys. But Ted always felt that one aspect of it was that as our technology increased, uh, they lowered their risk factor and went away from the structured craft and started using the light balls and that type of, you might say it was their form of ROV. And, um, but we did monitor things at, at Marley where they were, we felt they were a form of ROV. And then we've had sightings actually of these things of entities coming through the light balls. So they were actually like a vehicle in itself. Mm -hmm. So uh, it just in the dimensional realm, you're dealing with such a wide range of, you know, possibilities that you just have to have your mind open to it all the time.
0: So Albert, you're the humanoid chronicler. So uh, what do you think? You know what? Uh, if, if we are uh, f-
1: seeded from uh, other planets like a lot of researchers say maybe that's why we have this humanoid form and the, uniform, the humanoid form is prevalent throughout the universe uh, in my catalog I do have a few cases in which entities do not possess a humanoid form I know cases of a uh, jelly or amoeba type creatures. Some creatures uh, they resemble octopi, octopuses, uh, but most most of the I say ninety percent are humanoid or more than ninety percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the light bulbs and this that Tom mentioned, there's there's even cases in which uh, I call bedroom visitation when. You're lying in bed and you wake up and there's an entity or a being there. There's been a lot of uh, cases in which the entity itself transforms into a light bulb a sphere and it flies out of the, the room, out the window or through or through the wall. They don't need to, to open the window to come in. Right. They could go through walls. There's hundreds of documented cases.
0: Right. Well, my thought on this is, and it's close to what Albert's stating, I think The human species is a universal species. And why I say that is I think that the the entities that we see, that we identify as aliens, extraterrestrials, may actually be evolved humans that have the ability to come back through time (laughs) and come here for whatever reason, whatever agenda they're looking at. Maybe they're here coming back to change some things or such. But, you know, over the years and I've talked a lot of experiences, that seems to me to me be the reason why I had no evidence of that. You know, it's all anecdotal. But, um, you know, that's my thoughts at this point. And, uh, you know, you also brought up these these orbs, you know, and this is going to be my next question. You know, the the alien abduction scenario has evolved over time in a way, you know, you talk about the 60s and Betty of Barney Hill, they were brought up into a craft and they had one species of being there showing them this and this, doing experimentations. And then it kind of evolved into a more um, sexual nature, hybridization, other things going on. You had maybe one or two types of beings. Nowadays, there's, there seem to be different factions involved with multiple types of species of beings. Uh, the very few abductions are done through craft. A lot of it is done through a bedroom. Uh, you know, the experiencers start seeing blue lights or start seeing ball, I mean, orbs and stuff. And all of a sudden these things show up. Then they're either transformed physically or ethereally through, you know, to another location. Um, Lynn, what do you think that is? Why do you think that this whole experience that people have with abductions has seemed to change. Hmm.
2: I think that's twofold. I think that people are one becoming more comfortable talking about it. You mm-hmm. know, back in the fifties and sixties, it just wasn't really uh, something that was acceptable. It was something that you know was would have been a difficult thing to talk about. Um, I mean, even into you know the the seventies. Look at Travis Walton. I mean you know that it was just a tough time to talk about those things. Right. Um, And so I think that one, people are talking about it more, but I think also we're having a better understanding of what constitutes contact. So I think, you know, initially, yes, people reported physical interactions as contact. um, But now we can recognize that consciousness plays a big role in it as well. And so that's why we're seeing some more of these, uh, you know, astral or spiritual type contacts, whether it's uh, remote viewing or people's astral bodies are actually going and going up onto these craft or wherever it is they're going. There's so many different scenarios. So I think that our understanding of the phenomena, though obviously we don't completely understand it anywhere even close to it, um, we're getting a better understanding of what constitutes contact. And I think that's why we're seeing more of these reports of that nature.
0: What are your thoughts, Tom? Uh,
3: You know, it's really... We experienced like, again, I, I fall back on my personal experiences and, uh, which was with Ted Phillips and Marley Woods. And, you know, so much of what we dealt with out there, the, the cryptid activity that come through and everything, we just found it just to be of the dimensional nature. And, um, it was frequency driven and, and just quite frankly, what that means. And there again, you get into the ability to come into someone's bedroom, and duck somebody, um, it's, as again, my one of my mentors, Jock Vallée and others had said, Ray Stanford, another gentleman. Uh, dimensionally, when you match uh, the frequency modulation, that, that is the tool that's used to actually go through, is so often reported, walls come in through the ceiling. Uh, when you match the frequency with an object, a structural object or yourself, that gives you the ability to pass not only through dimensionally, but through physical objects. So when you use that kind of background as a tutor to let you know how this is done, uh, that is the tool which is used so often we feel to actually, and it's more or less they threw away the structured craft and they're into more just the uh, manipulation of frequencies and just in the dimensional aspect of it all, uh, we just fall back on that so often. And, uh, and it just gets into, uh, you know, we, at times in Marley we were exposed to, we put a lot of it, the, the detrimental things that affected us out there, we didn't ten- nail down to, we were dealing with microwave energy burst. And, uh, and that, and that we found was used a lot in frequency manipulation and, had some very bad things done to animals out there, and uh, but it just goes on and on, you know. As when we dealt with cryptids out there, we knew there wasn't a, li- a living, breeding population of things that we dealt with on a daily basis. Uh, you could have went through there with a thousand men, hand to hand, never found. But when they were there, they were just physically real there and laid down physical trace cases that we we picked up, sampled, and documented and had analyzed so when it's on this side it's as real as you and i and then when it's not here it's not here so uh that's yeah little- you know
0: we find that we find that in cryptids as well i mean you know it, it's interesting and i i believe personally that and i like to call them multiterrestrials try to distinguish them from some type of extraterrestrial sub i mean, title but i i believe that does happen in cryptids as well as um any other type of being that there's a supernatural aspect to it, and if you want to say uh, dimensional travel is too supernatural, then yeah, okay. But there's something about it, and they do, they are here in flesh and blood or a physical form. So, uh, yeah, I agree with that. What do you think? Um, what do you think, Albert?
1: Well, I I, I always thought that the uh, Bigfoot and cryptic phenomenon is connect has been connected to UFOs. Was maybe part of the same phenomenon, actually. Yes. Uh, I I know of cases uh, in which uh, abductees or people have claimed to have seen uh, bigfoot-type creatures on board a structured craft. Now, this is they've been abducted. I'm talking about the 80s, early 90s. There's one case uh, from Arizona f- from Tom Dongo. He's a researcher there. In which uh, a hiker near Sedona spotted a what appeared to be like a a hole in in, in the air, like a portal. And out of the portal, there was like a Bigfoot type creature was coming out. Which reminds me what they saw at Skinwalker Ranch back then in '97, I believe, later on. But uh, yeah, and what Lynn was saying, uh, when your uh, people have been abducted abducted and they go into uh, some sort of out of body experience and there's they see their bodies laying in the bed or sitting down on the couch or whatever but they their uh, ethereal self is transported on a craft and they are they experience a full abduction you know scenario you know physical experimentation medical whatever but their body remains back at, at where they were at home which is and, and talking about going through walls, a lot of these uh, um, abductees that all go, also go through the walls. For some reason, they, they the human is all, also able to go through the wall along with the uh, the entity or the humanoid.
0: Yeah, well, that that's a question in all of itself there, how it seems beings, even humans at some point when they're being abducted can can go through solid matter. I mean, I've heard a few, you know, a few, uh, explanations of that is, is a, a type of, um, molecular change right. or something or vibrational. Yeah. I, I guess that makes sense. Uh, though that's something above our, our pay grade at this point. Yeah. I don't think, you know, anybody can really answer that.
3: Yeah. When, when you match the frequency, you know, of solid objects, um, uh, as if in a wall and you can match that frequency, you know, all the atomic structure vibrates at a certain frequency. And if you can match that with your physical body, um, you go, you go right through it, you know? And that's one of the things that we learned out there that a lot of this, and we had portals out there and believe me, if you, like Ted said so often, when he started with this, if you would have said frequency or dimensional, uh, He said, you should have just slapped me. But uh, (laughs) over the years, he come to believe he all Ted always went where the science led him. And that's, that's what we came away with. And uh, it's, the reality is what we dealt with, you know, out there. uh, And there were times it had detrimental. We all had physical effects from it at times. And uh, you know, it just the frequency and microwave and, you know, even, uh, we experienced you hear people speak about hearing voices you know and uh uh and there's a phenomena uh, called the microwave auditory effect where i'm um, you may it's it's becoming more and more popular now you're hearing about this and uh where certain microwave frequencies have actually the ability to form the sound in the human's head to where that things are transmitted with microwave energy. And actually you can transmit voices and music. And, um, they found this out in world war II when people were working with high gain radio, uh, microwave, early radio transmissions. Uh, there were men around these things that started hearing voices from miles away of the crews working on this. So, uh, there is that phenomenon. And there again, we we've nailed a lot of this down to the frequency and microwave range, which I will tell you, we, uh, we do have a connection with some of the people yet at Skinwalker and they're coming around dealing with that right now. They're, they're dealing in that reality. And, uh, so, and of course we did have a, a short relationship we did with Robert Bigelow at Marley. We worked with his people and Comb Keller was out at our place. And, uh, along with Douglas Trumbull and some others, but, uh, so, and as Jock said, we had a, he felt we had a case for higher strangeness in Marley than what he had seen at Skinwalker. And mm-hmm. that's saying quite a bit. So,
0: <laughs> well, now I think most of us have had some type of encounter at some point, um, uh, and in Lynn's bio, she mentioned something about a manis being, now I have investigated mm-hmm. manis encounters in the past, mm-hmm. but I'm interested to find out what you went through.
2: <laughs> uh well that is one of the few encounters that I remember the least about but um uh, <laughs> but it was the one that started it all off. Well, it was the second one, the second one. Um but all I remember is kind of like a, a screenshot in time. Um I'm assuming that I was laying on a table of sort some sort just based on my perspective of uh what I was looking at. I saw these two like little grays kind of right in front of me looking at me and then there was a mantis figure um, in the back wearing a long kind of burgundy robe uh, with some gold like stripes on the neckline. Um, and that's all I remember really it's just mm. a screenshot from it. But I, I wasn't afraid. I do remember that. I wasn't afraid. Um, but yeah, I wish I had more details for you. <laughs>
0: well, You're a regression therapist. Have you ever thought about going to under regression for that?
2: I have had three regressions. Yes. And all of it was something that I never wanted anything to do with and nothing to do with the mantis. So, yes, it was all uh, like um, Black Ops and Secret Space Program stuff, which I woke up, like came out of it like, no, come on, for real. Um, But I mean, not surprising. I grew up in a military family. So, Mm. you know. But yeah, yeah. Not, but yeah, didn't get any info on the mantis being. That was the one thing I was looking for.
0: I I don't think I want to go through regression. I'll be honest yeah. with you. I I I have witnessed it. And uh I I know there are things there I don't remember, and mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know if I want to find out what I don't remember.
2: Yeah. Uh right. maybe
0: as I get older, now. Yeah. Well, over. I think
2: that's it's good to know about yourself, yeah. too, right? Because there's no reason that you have to remember it. And that's something I always tell people is be prepared. If you want to do it, be prepared. You have to be prepared for anything. Oh, you never know what's going to come up. And you've got to find someone reputable who can help with, yes. um, I always say, find someone with a background in psychology or social work who's going to do it for you. You know, because there can be trauma and there's a certain way you can do it where you yes. look at it from an observer perspective. So in the moment, you're not encased in those feelings again. But afterwards, yeah, you are still going to have to process it all. It took me after my I did my first two regressions fairly near each other. The most of the information came out in the first one, but it was like seven years of processing it before I was right ready on. to do the third one. Yeah.
0: Hmm, interesting. So. Mm. Uh, Albert, what uh, did what counters have you had or encountered?
1: Can you give me a second? I have to turn down a radio for some reason that okay. turned on here and it's really loud and it's bothering. Okay. And Vincent oh. sent me a message. Hold okay, on one second. Thomas. Okay. Uh,
0: Thomas, can you tell us what uh, you've experienced?
3: Yeah, and you know, I've not found anybody that's been in ufology or been involved with MUFON, an investigator in any degree that has not had a personal experience to some degree in their life. And uh, mine started with my my grandma had some experiences and then The only encounter I ever had was one, and I'm 67 years old now, I can't believe it, but my most vivid memory in life, it still comes back from when I was about six, seven years old, uh, one evening in my room in a thunderstorm, and I was awoken, I got out of bed and uh, got to my window, there was a cedar chest, got up on there, and I was looking out in the field behind our house. And, you know, for a long time, I didn't even want to, and one thing about MUFON, when you're, when you're trained as being an, you know, investigator, and I was trained by an Air Force colonel called Jim Cross, and uh, you didn't interject anything, even your body language, you're trained, you know, you don't interject, so I always found it easier, I never talked about my experiences, but, but, One evening, I was awoken and got to the cedar chest, looked out the window at the field with what I thought was lightning. And as I'm looking out the window, coming across, I could see from my right, right in front of me. Now, at the time, I didn't even know, you know, what a reptilian was. And uh, there again, you always have to question your, your own reality and artificial sensations, maybe substituting what you're seeing for some reason or another. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much close to the face, what I've seen with big yellow eyes. But as it got right parallel in front of me, it turned and looked me right in the eyes with these big yellow eyes. Now, the next thing I remember was I woke up the next morning on the floor in my parents' bedroom. And my father, I didn't understand the anger, he got out of bed and stepped right on my stomach. And of course he was angry. He thought he injured me. And he said, what are you doing here? And the only thing I could say to him was T-Rex man was in my room or T-Rex man was outside my room. And to this day, that is the most vivid memory I think I have. Uh, Now that was a one-time experience. Uh, No craft, nothing like that. I, I, The unique thing about it was Bruce Witteman, the state director for Missouri, lived not too far from me at the time as the crow flies and had a very vivid experience and abduction scenario. And that's what got him in ufology. So I will tell you, and off the record, I have not run into anybody that is an investigator or works with MUFON or been in this field that has not had a personal experience like that.
0: I only know of one, and that's Stan Gordon. Yeah. And he'll admit that. I mean, you know, Stan will tell you, I had never had an encounter of, any, of anything. I've seen a UFO, but I've never had an encounter of any being or anything. And he is. He's hes an exception because most people seem to have had an encounter of some type. So, uh, Albert, what, uh, what have you experienced?
1: Well, the one that I remember most most is uh, back in maybe seven or eight years old I was in in Cuba uh, they were all we were all sitting outside it was uh, one of those days or one of those nights where they had a blackout so people used to when they had the blackout they will sit outside and talk and we were sitting there and across the street over a house uh, a craft that I remember was sort of uh, egg-shaped or uh, like this it it very luminous a uh, pure metallic it, it flew by and there, everyone there was saying you know some of the people were screaming saying look you, the americans because that, that was during the time of the <laughs> yeah the bale pigs and uh yeah, yeah all that uh, pff, almost world war three but anyway uh it flew by and for some reason i was drawn to it, an interest, and I ran after it uh, or under it and it went behind a field where I lived. I stood under it and I looked up uh, and I, it, I was just fascinated and next thing I knew my mother was calling me and it, uh, I felt like I was, all, I was all wet. It hadn't rained and my mother wanted to know where I had been. It was really late at night so and I never gone have done a regression which I hope to to do one day. See what what really happened that day. Interesting. But that's uh, one of the interesting encounters that I had. I also had like what I like to call a an apparition or a ghostly encounter. It, also in Cuba, where my house, uh, the the area where I lived is pretty old. You know, a lot of the Spanish used to construct in that in that area there. Uh, I was walking along from the kitchen through to my uh, bedroom. There was a corridor, a hallway, and there was a mirror in, in the center of the hallway. And I was walking by, and I looked at the mirror, and there was a man, a man's head, face. He looked like he was wearing a helmet, like metallic, like those helmets that the Spanish conquistadors wore, I mm-hmm. swear to God. And he had a beard, black beard. And he was just laughing at me. <laughs> he was laughing. La- you know, I mean, I was again, I had no idea what's going on. I yelled at my mom. Mm-hmm. She ran over and I pointed at the mirror, of course, he was gone. And
0: that was... That's was... interesting because I had just had a report from Pennsylvania by a Pennsylvania Hunter who had a conquist door front, you know, up in front of him, up in the boondocks, up in the mountains of Pennsylvania.
1: I think I read that in your... Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah
0: that was yeah. interesting. And, and Lynn, you know, in your bio, you had, you had mentioned about your, um, your great grandmother,
1: I
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, had appeared before you, right after she passed. Mm-hmm. And I had the same experience with my great aunt. Uh, she appeared before myself my mother and my grandmother mm-hmm. at three different locations.
2: Mm-hmm. At the
0: same time, we were on the phone as soon as it happened. So,
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I mean, people question these things, but they do happen. I guess the connection, mm-hmm. they really have, it really, you know. So, um, I, I got an interesting question here from Summer Night uh, about Faraday cages, and if they can stop, the, I assume the aliens from planting or reading minds, or maybe even the government. Can is, or what do you do? You think that the Faraday cages are valid, or do you think that there's any validity to that? To that, uh, Lynn, let me start with you.
2: Um, um, I'm not sure. I mean, I. From my understanding of Faraday cages, and I'm certainly not an expert in them, is they block electromagnetic frequencies. Mm -hmm. Um, So it depends on, I guess, what technology or, um, you know, if it's a consciousness-based technology. I feel weird using the word technology, but I I don't really know um, another way to to put it. It depends on what the aliens are doing, how they're doing it. If it's not electromagnetic, then I don't think a Faraday cage would do much as far as the government possibly. Yeah
0: yeah it, it seems like I always get somebody who who's trying to block the government and getting mm. into their head and they buy uh, they probably ever construct these faraday cages. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was an interesting question for mm-hmm. uh, for this discussion. to uh, Thomas, do you have any thoughts on that?
3: in like she's in some instance, it can be useful. It depends uh, but but you always have to realize we're dealing with an intelligence that is always one step ahead of you. It always knows where you're going to go. It just so, and you're dealing with such a wide range of technology here. Uh, You know, out in Marley, the one thing that we dealt with that was really detrimental to us and I don't know how you protect against it. And uh, there's a phenomenon out there called the light beam. Now, just quite briefly, what that means is there's, The old-timers have seen this, experienced it, and it's a light beam that's sweeping around. Uh, We believe it's high in microwave energy content because uh, it did hit myself, another individual, and Ted Phillips and I. It came up and hit our vehicle, and I hate to draw the analogy to the scene from Close Encounters, but that's exactly what we had happen. It came up on our vehicle, was there, and we jumped out. It was Illuminated the inside of the vehicle so brightly you couldn't even see. And I asked Ted, I said, are you, are you seeing this Ted? And he said, Ted said, well, hell yes, I'm seeing this Tom. And we jumped out, which wasn't a wise thing to do. And we looked up and we seen, I know a little bit about lighting and this was of such a, I just, I just worked on a television show and we tried to recreate a light beam in the field. And I don't know how you could do this to the intensity but when we jumped out, we seen a light beam retract from us in the vehicle and you could see a definite cutoff end and it retracted, no structured craft, anything above us where it went into. But as Ted said, it, it went into like a twisting reflex action, like in an old shutter in a camera mm-hmm. and it was just snapped out. It was gone. Mm-hmm. And we got back and, and Ted actually got physically sick, uh, and I thought I was fortunate at the time I didn't get sick, didn't vomit. And in hindsight, I wished I would have because I came away then years with, through the next year. Uh, I had dark brown hair at the time. And I, I went back two weeks later, went back home. I had a scalp thing. They thought I had shingles. I couldn't touch my hair head. And they just determined it was some kind of burn, radiation or sun. The local doctor and uh then in the process over a month my hair turned from dark brown to what you see today which is blonde possibly white and then i had eye troubles i had macular cyst and cataracts removed so there are physical effects from this and mm-hmm. it happens and they've experienced this similar to this at skinwalker over mm-hmm. the years so it does happen. So I just want to warn people when they get out there in the field, uh, be careful and always have some, you know, we we'd always go out in pairs and we'd always have some type of equipment to monitor. And in our case, we deemed it to be microwave spectrum radiation and always be prepared and, and be looking for this, you know, so. Uh, but but there is that reality to it.
0: Mm hmm. So, Albert, uh, what do you think? I guess the tinfoil hats don't work either, right?
1: No, I tried it. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think Faraday cases, I don't know too much about them, but I think it's a waste of time because I don't think that's going to stop anything. If they really wanted to
0: yeah. probe
1: us, it's not going to stop. Right. And I agree uh, Tom here, you know, they a lot of people, they want to have an encounter. They want to rush in and greet the aliens or whoever they are but i I don't i don't recommend that like they say only fools rush in okay stay back and see what happens but there's too many cases that i know about i read about in which uh people their hair turns white overnight yeah there's been a lot of cases that in south america that's overnight and many people have died after an encounter oh yes suffering from uh radiation symptoms in Spain and South America, even here in the U.S. So I'm not saying all the encounters are like that way, but you, have to, you have to be careful. You have to. Uh,
0: we got a question here, and I, I can answer this a little bit. Uh, Vincent asked, do extraterrestrials remove view, and, and like we try to remove remote view them. Well, I'm a trained remote viewer. So I have tried this, and uh, I think we can. But I think they have the ability to, to stop it. I, had a, I was involved with the remote view when I was training where the monitor had sent me into a location off earth. And uh, I don't know where I was, but I was in a cavern. And this, I mean, this thing was huge. And, you know, I walked through it. It was very humid, smelled. It, it seemed like the walls were alive. I walked through this thing, and I got to a location where there were... It looked like humans were sitting there working on some type of controls and such. There was a big window there. And this huge T-Rex-looking thing came walking in. And I'm looking at this thing, you know, through my mind's eye and through my remote view. And I, I kept looking at it until this thing looked at me. Then I realized this thing saw me somehow the monitor pulled me out immediately but uh i think they do have the ability to either do it or stop it uh you know when i've been involved with the david eckhart case and um when i first started working with him we tried several remote views with him and got cut off immediately i mean it just everything went blank now I, i i know you discussed remote viewing uh lynn what are your thoughts on that
2: Uh, I I agree 100% um, that absolutely they can look in on us. I mean, again, like, like we've all kind of said, we have to remember these beings and it's not just one particular race, but these beings are much more advanced than we are Mm -hmm. by who knows how much, you know, could be millions of years more advanced than we are. So any capability that we have, they are going to have tenfold, if not more. Um, And I've heard a lot of people say the same thing that, that you were just saying about how they were remote viewing or, um, whether they intentionally did to or not, sometimes they kind of stumble upon, you know, like these alien beings, but have them have the same experience that they, they, they just turn and like, make almost like, make, make eye contact with them and they realize that they're being seen. So, um, I think they absolutely can. And, and if mm-hmm. you think about it, it's a much safer way for them. If they're going to be checking in on people, if that's oh, what yeah. they're doing, it's a much safer way for them to do it. I mean, I wouldn't yes. want to physically come to this planet. I think that'd be crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs>
0: well, you know, when I had, when I went into this location, I was scared to death. I, I swear to God, because I had no idea where I was going to. Yeah, uh, it was part of my training, but uh, yeah, it was, it was quite an experience. Um, so this, Thomas here, Yeah, can
2: I ask you a quick question? Oh, yeah,
0: go ahead.
2: So sorry, Tom. So no, go ahead. Um, this is very fascinating. So <laughs> with this remote did the remote viewer or the person that was training you did they know where they were sending you?
0: They did. Yes. What what I, I tell you, I, I don't know if you go into um uh scientific remote viewing or coordinator remote viewing, mm-hmm. you, you you use a series of numbers, yeah. And uh I don't know they exact knew exactly where they were sending me. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, you know, and I, I don't know how that's exactly done. I mean, I've mm-hmm. never been a monitor. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of have been involved with remote view sessions with teams mm-hmm. where we'd be at different locations and get together and, and put all our findings together. But, uh, I mean, that's where they were sending me. And that's their, their intention was to send me someplace other than on Earth. Yeah. Uh they, of course she didn't tell me that, but that's what happened.
2: <laughs> oh, so that was but, just uh, a yeah, pretty <laughs>
0: Yeah.
2: Wow. So clearly they knew something was there. Wherever well,
0: I told her. I told her, Look, there's something here, it's not something's not right. She pulled mm. me out.
2: Mm.
0: So uh yeah.
3: All right. Sorry. Thomas, Tom. what do you say? No, I I was just gonna say that one thing I always remember that I was told is A lot of what comes through, and most, in fact, what comes through the dimensional boundaries, has not the authority to be here, Mm -hmm. and is not good. That's not to say at times there are things that have the authority that come through, that that do good things and have good motivation, but that is very rare, from what I was told. So, and I always keep that in the back of my mind when I'm dealing, and I do believe that. Fear is a factor is a tool that they use. Either they feed off it for energy or they use it to manipulate people to do whatever they, they wish or to see quite frankly, like Ted said, we, we thought we were in a living laboratory and at times he felt like they, we were in their laboratory and mm-hmm. they were experimenting on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause we just had so many things happen to us and animals had large amounts of cattle mutilation and, uh, Things happen to horses and barns. It is unimaginable uh, that it just, I always remember that statement though, that a large part of what comes through does not have the authority to be here. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's always, you have to question its motivation. So, All right. So Albert, what do you think?
1: Well, I, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that you, you say you were remote viewed off world, but you don't know where. Mars, the moon, no, no, exactly. But it's funny that you mention a cavern and a reptilian because a lot of the encounters with reptilians are, are occurred in caverns uh, underground Mm -hmm. uh, here on Earth.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, you you look at David Eckhart's situation, and I wrote about it in my book. I mean, you know, he was taken to what he believes is, is a cavern on the planet and uh, by this reptilian and those that smaller beings that were working with him and, or it. And, uh, yeah, it, it seems that they were taken to those locations. So, I don't know.
1: Uh, Artie, Artie Six, Six, Six Killer, the uh, researcher, mm-hmm. uh, Native American. Mm-hmm. In, in her books, she mentions a lot of encounters with reptilians underground in Vietnam uh, during the Vietnam War. And some here in the uh, in the U.S.
0: I've gotten those as well from
1: from fascinating
0: ex servicemen. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, we got a question here from Vincent, and, and it kind of ties in with, with this. Is uh, okay? They're here, and they're doing what they're doing. They're uh, you know abducting, they're showing up. What do these aliens want? What's their agenda? Lynn, do you have any idea what their agenda is?
2: Um, well, Vincent, that's a big question yet again. Um, I don't know. Again, there's a lot of different types of ETs that we're talking about. And I think they're each going to have their own agendas just Mm -hmm. like we do. So, um, and, and then it, it gets very complicated. That's the thing I love about this, this whole phenomenon is it's very complicated. There's many layers, right? There's no one answer to everything. Um, and so you could look at even just the grays alone. And I've heard from different experiencers, um that there there are i've heard like up to 60 something different types of grays that we know about and each one of those types might have their own agenda Mm -hmm. so um it's almost an impossible question to answer though we all want to know of course why are they here i think some are working with our governments i do think some um you know, I, I am a big proponent of believing that possibly we were, um, our D, our gene our DNA, excuse me, our DNA was manipulated way back when, and that's how we kind of became who we are. So maybe they're here checking up on us, seeing how their experiment is going or whatever it is they think of us as,
0: Yeah, um, they were the experiment that went, that keeps on giving to them.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. What do you think, Thomas? Yeah, you know, I go back to the Native Americans that I've talked to about this. And uh, their name for this is, in their representation, they call them the tricksters, is how they refer to a lot of this. And uh, at times we just, we come across that so much, even at Marley, that uh, it's it's more about the manipulation of people and, uh, seeing how they'll respond to things in various ways. And I do believe, again, a lot of what they have the ability to change your perception of reality. And when you have that ability, you just always have to question what you're seeing and, uh, what you're experiencing, you know, as, as I even do myself, you know, in my memories. And, uh, it's just, it goes into a lot of, uh, believe me, such high strangeness out there that, uh, and I've seen it done to people. And, you know, the, the older people around Marley, they, they have a, a unique ability to perceive things before they happen, the light ball activity and all the other phenomena. And, uh, some of them will go in their house and they think it's demonic. It won't come out. And others back from the twenties and thirties, used to drag lawn chairs out on the weekend and use this as a source of entertainment to watch these things. And they felt it had a good, you know, so it's just, Hmm. it's just, it's a, it's a complicated, uh, phenomenon. It really is. What do you think Albert?
1: Yeah. You know what, uh, as far as the agenda, I I learned a long time ago that if you're going to research and, UFOs or related phenomenon, do you think you're going to solve the problem in a year or six months? You're never going to make it. You're going to quit. Yeah,
3: that ain't going to happen. I, I,
1: I, I don't even try. <laughs> you know, I do yeah. collect cases, but uh, a lot of people, they ask you the question, so, so why are they here? What what do they want from us? I wish I knew. If I knew you? that, I wouldn't, uh, I don't know. As far you know, as, the, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: So I, I have one theory, and, I, and this is just like a combination of, of cases I've been worked with in the past 30 years with people, is that I, I believe that the abductions, the agenda, are related to one thing primarily, is that, I, I like I said before, I, I think many of these races are evolved humans, you know, eons and eons of evolution. And that I think they lost something that they may have had in the past, but they know that we still do have. And that is a human soul of a life force. And it's something they don't comprehend. Now, you know, I, I, had, I have talked to experiencers who have told me that, you know, when they have had converse conversations with these beings, they do believe in a higher being, a higher deity, something that they espouse to like our God. But they do not have any concept of life after death uh, to where, you know, humans believe that their life force, their soul ascends to another level and that they may be trying to find that either by abduction, experimentation, hybridization or whatever. But I, I think it's an interesting concept. I've asked people about that for years now. I kind of get a lot of different answers to that, but uh, that's just my thought at this point.
1: Well I and you know a lot of people think that I, some researchers that I other researchers I spoke to and maybe there's a grain of truth to it that they're trying to modify the genetics the human genetics they're trying to create another human mm-hmm they're trying to modify Homo sapiens to becoming uh another type of uh or maybe they're trying to replace us.
0: Well maybe they're to, looking with with
1: the with the hybrids. With, like singularity with
0: hybrids. as a for with them, you know have their have us and them be more singular to each other.
1: Man, who knows? But <laughs> uh
2: mm.
0: <laughs> It's and, interesting. Uh,
1: yeah. It is interesting. Uh,
2: right? I have I talked with um, uh, an experienced or his name is Paul Hamden, and he works with the Zetas and he talked about this kind of very phenomena, which you might find interesting, Mon, which was that um, that Earth has its own sort of uh, uh, spirit realm, reincarnation cycle, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And so other planets may have their own. So it's not to say that other beings can't reincarnate and live different Mm -hmm. lives, Mm -hmm. but that we have our own here on Earth. Um, Now, of course, that gets a little more complicated if you're talking, looking at people being hybrids or hybrids living on this planet, then, you know, because then do you have, the way he described it was, is the hybrids living on this planet aren't necessarily genetically hybrids, but what it is, it's an ET consciousness and a human consciousness combined in a human form. Right. so then what happens maybe those consciousnesses separate um i don't know what the plural for consciousness is um but maybe oh, they separate yeah. consciousnesses <laughs> by consciousnesses um <laughs> they separate upon you know when when we pass away maybe they separate and return back to kind of their home planets i don't really mm. know but it's a fascinating concept
0: yeah, yeah i mean I, i'm just going by what i've collected over the years and it just seems that that this whole soul thing has something to do with the i mean that when the the physical part dies that there's an ethereal or life force that ascends maybe it's even just a dimensional thing it goes to another dimension but you know i I don't want to get into the religious aspects of this or you know but uh
3: that's one of the things so you know you touched upon that the what comes across a lot of it doesn't have the authority to be here that that coincides with the higher power uh, and what when it what does come across that has the authority does good mm-hmm. so uh and one of the things i had the biggest questions when i dealt with people over the years that were in the know and far smarter than i i always wanted to know i i because i dealt in uh the aztec crash in new mexico and different ones you know mm-hmm. we were there with stanton freeman and uh and different crashes, Cape Girardeau and Roswell, of course. And I thought, you know, and when I was speaking with people that were in the know, and uh, I said, "What with that technology, why is are there so many crashes? And one of the things they told me, and it was so simplistic when they explained this to me, uh, they said, well, the ones that come across sometimes don't have the authority to be here. What happens when a young person in our culture steals a car? And they don't have the skills to operate it, or something's chasing them. What always happens? And I, always, right. you know, I said, "Well, they always crash." And then it just dawned on me what they were trying to tell me. And I said, "It's the same, same mo, you know, same occurrence. Uh, they Never don't have yet. the authority yeah. to be here. So yeah. it made sense. it made sense to me for the first time because I couldn't understand that technology. How come they were crashing so much? You know, and,
0: interesting and uh,
3: and and by the way we did we did recover crash debris, I will tell you, and uh and people I worked with that were exposed to that, I will tell you it's real and yes, we do have crash debris and, and they've actually the governments admitted that now, you know, but but the culture, nobody even seems to recognize that fact now. So
1: Look, they care more about the Kardashians than...
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly.
3: (laughs) They're kind of
2: alien anyway, so...
3: Yeah. (laughs) Or they are here. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Exactly.
3: I do believe a lot of what's coming through now, uh, you know, I just think disclosure is not going to be what people think it is. No, I don't either. Uh, From Mm -hmm. what I'm told from people behind the scenes that I've worked with and in the know, that, that and this goes even to a, a, a woman that I greatly respect that was von Braun's secretary. Uh, and von Braun warned of this there's going to be a largest false flag operation portrayed on mankind that's ever happened. And it's and even people that have worked, you know, Alan Hynek predicted this, Ray Stanford talked about this, uh, Stan Freeman, Ted. Uh, it's not going to be what you think it is, and um, it's it's not at all an alien technology that's here to benefit mankind. And mm-hmm. so, and I do believe their hands being forced, and not by us, I'll say. So, mm-hmm. uh, so there again, as you spoke of, uh, be careful for what you what you wish for. Yeah. It's <laughs>
0: uh I've got a question here from James West. How many alien races do you think there are? Oh my, that's a good question. And how many? Are we in contact with diplomatically?
3: I got a quick answer to that. Okay, (laughs) as many as you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean that—that's a question for the government, I guess. (laughs) I
3: mean, you
0: know, I I could ask you. I could ask you, Albert. I mean, how many different types of humanoids and beings have you documented? I mean, it's, it's.
1: I mean, between only, let's talk about the grays. They got tall grays, thin grays, grays with uh, wraparound eyes, grays with round eyes, the, the different, you know, it's a, maybe like like Lin said, a hundred type of grays, different yeah. types of, uh, and then we go into the other type of humanoids. They're like, like the UN. They're like, um, I mean, look at, we have a, who knows, they're, so many dimensional, you know, many dimensions out there, are parallel worlds, like I said, uh, other realms. The universe is is huge. So who knows? I mean, well, you got, you like, got,
0: even when you talk, when you say alien races, I mean, you could be talking about other beings as well, like winged beings that call themselves ultra terrestrials, like what i am been investigating, and, and, and other, you know, other phenomena. Even cryptids could be some type of uh non-terrestrial which i think they very well may be. Uh so and, uh, when you ask that yeah. question how many of these races are there well it's you know there could be as many as you want to believe.
1: How about the shadow the shadow people f- yeah, figures? Absolutely. I, I, I had an experience with, with with that once and and it talking about the fear aspect the fear was so so big that i i, I was like trembling i couldn't move i was in my bed i tried to scream, I couldn't, and there was this tall figure, all black, I couldn't see any features, but standing next to the bed. And he seems like he was enjoy- enjoying my fear, I was just, I was terrified and, and the fear was like beyond control.
3: There again, and, that fear factor. Yeah. 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 And uh, I truly, really, I really believe, I know some people that do a science in that and I do believe shadow people are dimensional beings in transition. And, mm. um, and you know, and I always say as far as the, you always have to temper this tech, this intelligence that it has the ability to be whatever you want it to be at the moment. Uh, and I know some people in the paranormal aspect of this, but uh, I had seen some experiments that and some tricks when they went into a, a so-called haunted house and uh, they had made up a scenario before they went in the house and um, about what they were going to look for. And sure <laughs> enough, when they went in there, uh, they started questioning the entities about this. And it exactly met the profile that they had prior set, what they were going to look for and find. So this intelligence was what they were looking for at the precise time. Mm-hmm. So you always have to temper what you see and experience with that ability, I feel.
2: Mm-hmm. I also think too, though, Tom, like to kind of play off of that, I think that we also have the capability to create these sort of thought forms, right? These beings themselves. So if we're out there saying all aliens are bad, all aliens are evil, that's exactly what we're going to come across. If we're saying, you know, I'm going to go into this haunted house and I think I'm probably going to find a demon here. You're going to find a demon. You know, like I agree with you. I think a lot of times, especially in the paranormal, we've seen that quite a lot, right? That... Whatever they expect to find is often what they find. So, entities, yeah, like right. like Slenderman, right?
3: Right. It's kind and of quite kind frankly, of knowing that ahead of time is the greatest tool that you yeah. can have to use, you know, to mm-hmm. guard yourself and to deal with this. It's knowing mm-hmm. that that can that can play out just like that, you know. Yeah. You know,
0: I, I just wrote a book about memes and uh, possible thought mm-hmm. thought forms and tulpas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that manifest. Uh, you know, the human mind's are crazy thing i mean uh poltergeists are basically they're you know they're thought forms so um yeah i i agree with you you know maybe what people are seeing identifying as extraterrestrials alien or could also be thought forms it's not beyond the possibility
2: some of them could for
0: sure um here here's an interesting question from mori gotti now what does the panel think about Eisenhower treaty with the aliens? Supposedly, now I think it, they're discussing the supposed Giada mm-hmm. treaty, the Giada treaty, or, where I, I, you know, I don't, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this that apparently Eisenhower had a mm-hmm. had a meeting with some alien race at uh, Holloman Air Force Base at some point during his administration. I mean, you know. It, this this is old ufology. What do you think about it? Albert? What you, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, what I read and what I know, uh, not personally, but what I read and heard is that um, he encountered two type of races okay. at an air force base. One where they're supposedly the Nordic, tall, blond, and the mm-hmm. other one was the short grays, and and he was given a choice to make a a, a treaty with one of them, and I think he. He chose the uh, short grays for some reason because the he he asked for technology and uh, the tall whites or the Nordics refused to provide technology because they probably knew we were going to use it for war or something. Yeah, you know, not beneficial. And the gray said, "Yeah, you could have all all you want. As long as you give us, you know, what we want." Okay, this is what I heard. So
0: I'm open to anything. How about it, Lynn?
2: Yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. I think it was in 1954. Yeah. Uh, supposedly he was on vacation and interrupted interrupted his vacation for a dental appointment. I think that was the, um, if I remember correctly, the uh, yeah, official the official <laughs> yeah excuse, and that he <laughs> yeah met with the the ETs and um, in exchange for technology, they yeah. allowed them to abduct humans or a certain amount of humans. Or I think there were some guidelines, but um i don't know it's a fascinating concept i kind of love the idea of it um not the greatest like meeting maybe or greatest uh, exchange on our part but i mean laura eisenhower is you know adamant that it happened so yeah, she it is yeah i don't know you exactly. know there's nothing
0: better than alien ufology conspiracy mm-hmm. stuff i mean you know some of the stuff oh, yeah. you read is just like yeah, it sounds so crazy, but then again, I, I, you know, over the years, I've heard crazy things that turned out to be oh. true. So you, you never know.
2: That's true. I, With all yeah. the stuff we've seen, we can't say anything is crazy. Nah, <laughs> no. You know,
1: I and I try to stay away from the conspiracy theory stuff. I'm the know, same way. But, but then uh, you know,
2: I, I dig it, into it. It's, I love it. It's, <laughs> it's hard.
1: It's hard to stay away from it, though. You're right.
2: Well, yeah,
0: it is. It's difficult. It you is You know, when you get people sending you emails and and calling you about these things and and saying, well, is it true? Well, you know, I guess that depends on you. I'm not going to tell you whether it's true or not. I don't know. You know, frankly, I mean, I just give you my opinion. But uh, you do hear a lot of crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, that's just part of what we do. And it's going to get out there. Now. I, I would like to ask each one, each one of you to, or whoever wants to come up with a specific subject that they they feel that they need to discuss about uh, alien encounters. Uh, how, how about it, Lynn? Do you want to start off?
2: The most, um, I'm so sorry, I was like looking at a comment, the most important thing to discuss about this? Is that what the question was? Yeah. Um, hmm. I think consciousness. I think consciousness is where it's headed. I think it's, it's already been it's it's that's where it's at. But our understanding of it okay. is is growing and changing. And I think that is going to be the key to really understanding the phenomena is understanding consciousness and to keep an open mind. Because, you know, like we were talking about these, you know, the conspiracy theories are really fun to dig into, at least for me, I love them. Um, I think they're great. But At the same time, can we really close our minds to any of it? I mean, we've talked to each of us has talked to people, experiencers, hundreds and hundreds of experiencers who are adamant that they experience these things. And when I was working with free, part of the reason they brought me on was to evaluate people and make sure that for like our support program to make sure that they didn't need mental health. And I can tell you in about I think I I talked with over 300 people while while I was there. Only one had to be referred to mental health. Yeah, to mental health practitioner, only one. So these are, you know, people that they're sane people. They're uh, they're everyday people, just like you, me, and they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're do- from every walk of life, right? And so we can't sit there and say that it didn't happen. We can't prove that it never happened. So because of that, we have to keep an open mind. And that, I think, is the biggest lesson that I've learned with working ex- with experiences is to never completely rule anything out because i can't say it didn't happen
0: that that's i think that's that's important that's an important statement to make that you know as investigators and researchers we need to keep an open mind about everything Mm -hmm. uh you know when someone contacts you about a sighting or you know they want an investigation or something looked into Mm -hmm. You've got to realize that when they call you, they trust you enough to ask you that. So you become part of the investigation.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: uh, you know, with most people, I take I, I take what they say for granted until I figure out there's something different going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the way to go, though. You do have to keep an open mind.
2: Yeah, because it's frightening for them to reach out as Absolutely. well. You know, it's, they're, they're making themselves very vulnerable. And so it's our responsibility to listen to them and right. hear them out and listen to it from, with an open mind.
0: Right. How about, how about it, Thomas? What do you think?
3: Absolutely. I agree with that. And I helped arrange and sat in on three regressions myself with a very great psychologist, Marjean Kastner. And, um, you know, when you deal on that level with people and see that done, and I, as far as eyewitness testimony, I was luckily, thank, thankfully, Bruce Whitman put me with Jim Cross uh, that trained me. He was an Air Force retired colonel. And uh, eyewitness testimony, absolutely, when you're dealing with people, you learn, you know, I would say that probably less than 3% of eyewitness testimony is fraudulent or made up. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to... People are experiencing what they see and what they experience. And now, however strange that gets, you just have to open your mind and you're there to take down the report. The, you're not there to ridicule. And, uh, you know, as even Jacques Vallée said, uh, and Alan Hynek said, ridicule is not part of the scientific process. Right. So you have to take people what they're saying and, and you learn pretty fast to weed out the people. And it's very rare. Yeah. People, you know, most of the time, they don't want to share this with people. And uh, contrary to popular belief.
0: Well, you know, as someone who takes these, these, uh, these reports and counts, you, it's pretty easy to start figuring out who's, yes. you know. You, yes. you can pretty well separate the wheat from the chaff when you're doing stuff like this yes uh but you know as far as alien encounters alien abductions and such uh I have learned that the experiencers as opposed to most other people who think I have an opinion on this are the ones that are going to tell you the facts uh the government isn't going to come out with any type of disclosure anytime soon I don't unless they absolutely have to you know if, if something lands on the White House lawn and starts <laughs> Raiding the West Wing, then yeah, uh, then we're going to need to know. But uh, I think the people who are actually doing the experience, having the experiences, who who come forth uh, very sincerely, don't embellish, uh, who continue to talk to you, yeah, those are the, those are the folks that are they're really going to. That's the disclosure, and that's what we're going to get. Right. Yeah.
1: Correct. Yeah. And How about I, that, What do you got I, to say? I have an open mind. I always keep an open mind. Uh, you know, I have dealt with some some crazies, definitely. I made a mistake of giving my phone number to one of them one time. and <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. We've all gone through that. <laughs> this person will call me at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy according to her she's, she was an Xca operative that used to work at uh, dulce and she was uh, trained I don't know uh, after a while I had to change phone numbers <laughs> <laughs> but you know uh, I, I I keep an open mind because some of these stories are so out there so weird that I you think why would they want to make this this up absolutely why are they I mean why I mean there's no point and and, and you know, it got it's got to be something to it because they yeah. are so you know? Yeah.
0: Nancy Malcolm just wrote me and said, uh, Lon, when can we have a reptilian to interview? Boy, if anybody ever has one, <laughs> what you've got my number, you've got my email, <laughs> just send them to me and I will allow them to come on here and, and say what they gotta say. That's yes. no problem there.
2: Yes. I love it. I'm <laughs> team reptilian. I'm always fighting for reptilian rights. <laughs> <laughs> You can't demonize an entire species,
0: <laughs> everybody. You can't. <laughs> oh my! Yeah. So, oh God, I, I you know it's it's interesting what you know when you get when, when you get into a group like this into a round table, It's interesting what stuff comes up. But uh, you know, I, I've got three different individuals here who have, all have different experiences and different and have been involved with different things, and um, I, I hope everybody learned a little bit. Uh, from it, but you know, this is a subject that could go on for hours and hours and hours, and uh, if they could answer every question that, that they have, we could. So, but at this point, i like to have each and one of you tell us um, what you are involved in now, what you plan to be involved in, if you have any books to uh, advertise those, your website, and uh, let us know what's going on. So, I'll start with Lynn.
2: Um, <clears throat> right now, I, I have my own channel, Rebellious Ufology. Thank you so much. Uh, So you can find me on YouTube and it's also on Amazon Music and um, I think iTunes and Spotify. Um, And uh, I'm going to be speaking at a Women in Ufology conference coming up. It's a virtual conference that's going to be coming up. I think they're going to be advertising it pretty soon, Um, but it's going to be on April 23rd. So that's, that's pretty much what I'm doing. I just started the channel. It's only about a month old. Uh, So it's a brand-new baby channel, but we're having a lot of fun with it.
3: Great. How about it, Thomas? Yeah, I'd uh, just like to mention, that throw out there, that I'm looking forward to uh, probably this August we're going to premiere. We just got done filming a, a show, a gentleman that's on now, and a show that's on television now. Just got done filming one episode, and that should air around August. And we're working on with another group, uh, one of Ted Phillips' projects was Project Moonshaft, which you may have heard of that, maybe not, but uh, there's the man right there with Jock Fillet, And uh, Moonshaft is an artifact in Slovakia that Ted made it over there twice. It's a long pedigree to this whole story, but it involves an object that was found in a cave by someone escaping the Nazis in World War II. And Ted actually made it back to this cave where this artifact, was found its instrumentality that's eons old, self-maintaining, running, uh, not of this earth in a mountain buried in Slovakia. So we're working on getting there now. And uh, Hmm. I can't tell you the lunges, the problems between Colvis over the last two years. And now we got a war going on in close proximity. (laughs) So the geopolitical aspects of this is unbelievable right now. But we're trying to get, going to try to get over there in the next year or two to start this documentary on this on the Moonshaft project. So look for that and stay tuned. That's what we're working on.
0: How about you, Albert?
1: Well, I'm still working on my database daily. I update it and I uh, I share most of my, a lot of my information on my uh, Facebook page. Humanoid Encounters and, others, and Other Strange Things. Uh, I think that's what it's called, I think. But I share a lot of my information there. And I am uh, working on my last book, uh, Encounter from 2016 through 2021. I'm collecting cases from that time period now. Uh, I want to update the other books too, but it, I changed publisher, so it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of, you know, big deal. But, um, I'm still working on that. I I feel like I have to do it. I feel like I'm compelled to do it. I I, I need to document all these cases. A lot of these cases that I document, as long knows, are cases that I obtain from like Ukraine, Russia, Eastern Europe, yeah. uh, South America, different parts of the world where p- people have never heard of, and a lot of them are come in different languages that I have to translate them. Russian. Thank God for Google Translate. I could translate Spanish and Portuguese, <laughs> maybe Italian, a little French. But some of these languages are like really oh, yeah. hard to. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, that's what I'm doing. I'm. I, I hope to set up a website soon so I could have my database accessible there to the general public. I want to do that. I, I used to. That's one of my books there. Uh, I used to have that available till the uh, on the UFO Info website. Unfortunately, the owner uh, had some family issues and he closed it down. And that's it. Uh, that's what I'm doing.
0: Well, if you ever need help, let me know. Maybe I can give you a hand.
1: Okay. Thank you.
0: Uh, look, I, I want to thank all you three for coming on today, uh, this evening. Uh, you've got an open invitation to come on anytime you want. And, uh, you know, maybe we can do this all together again. It's a fascinating subject. It's an evolving subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, thanks again, and uh, you'll have a great weekend. And uh, you take care.
2: Thanks. so much for having us on.
0: Thank you. Thank, thank you for you. having. Uh, nice you. meeting you, Lynn
1: and Tom. Yes, you too. Nice to meet thank you. you. Uh, thank you, sir. Been uh, great. Uh, <laughs> here's here's my my uh, my alien ice. Uh, Skating license, which I got at Air Fifty One. <laughs> <laughs> I have a whole bunch of them. Uh, <laughs> oh well.
0: Okay, thank All right. you. thanks. Thanks again, right, Coach.
1: Lon. Keep in touch. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Now, if you have an unexplained encounter or sighting, feel free to contact. Con- con- excuse me, contact me directly on at uh, lonstriperfamsamasters or through the Monsters blog site. Also, if you would like your encounter or sighting read on the show, please forward to my email. Uh, you know, this coming Wednesday, we're premiering personal reports live on Phantoms of Monsters Radio. You know, I will be narrating several accounts that have come my way and give the chat room the opportunity to ask questions in reference to the reports. So, you know, don't miss that. That'll be quite interesting. Uh, we're going to probably do a bi-weekly f- for now, and maybe it'll be a weekly uh, a weekly endeavor, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And uh, look, I want to thank my guests for coming on this evening. It, it was great. I, I really like these roundtable discussions. I don't know why I didn't start doing this a long time ago, but uh, I do enjoy them. And, and thanks to each and all of you for watching and chatting. If you uh, made a super chat donation, it's truly appreciated. Your support is what makes this possible. So please click the subscribe button. And also consider becoming a member of Phantoms of Monsters Radio. Uh, this uh, Next week, Psychic Medium and Spirit Rescuer Amy Major will join me. I've had Amy on before. And uh, her book, she has two books that she has previously written. I suggest that you guys recommend both of them. Uh, if you just go to Amazon and put Amy Major in and, and search it, her books give great details of spirit rescue work. So, uh, But we'll be discussing the ins and outs of ship and how you can become a spirit rescuer. Should be an interesting discussion. So uh, be sure to tune in. So until next week or until Wednesday night, stay healthy and have a safe, enjoyable weekend. Good night.